This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings, and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 49 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In today's episode, I am going to talk about the appeal to nature fallacy. So in a previous episode, I talked about cognitive biases, and I talked about it within the context of some of the cognitive distortions that people with ADHD or other related conditions sometimes experience that kind of gets in their way of being able to work through challenging situations, non-preferred tasks, and just get things done, as well as just their outlook on life and what they expect and think that they can do for themselves. A lot of times there's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I talked a little bit about that. But the appeal to nature fallacy is a little bit different. And so today I'm going to talk about how this relates to the whole conversation around executive functioning, ADHD, autism, or some of the other disabilities that I have discussed on the show. So if you want to be able to make good decisions about how to support your children or your clients, then it is really important to make sure that you are aware of these biases because you might be able to recognize them in other people when people are explaining things to you, different types of treatment or types of intervention, or just 
day-to-day types of routines or regimens that you might partake in. It's also really important to be aware so that you know that you aren't falling prey to these fallacies as well, because it's really easy to get sucked in. We're humans. All of us experience cognitive biases in some way. So we want to just be aware that they exist so that we can make good decisions. So before I get into that, I am going to today talk a lot about, again, executive functioning and how we can support our children and how we can use different strategies to create structure in the environment so that we can, number one, set the stage for learning and growth to take place. But number two, once we've done that, to be able to teach specific skills. And so I wanted to share information about a program that I have for both practitioners, so whether it be speech pathologists or teachers who are supporting kids who need to work on executive functioning, as well as parents who want to support kids in the home environment and work on these skills. So I do have a program called Executive Functioning for Success that walks through a 12-week plan that will help you to create structure in your environment and teach specific executive functioning skills so that kids can start to be more independent with day-to-day tasks, whether it be doing homework, whether it be doing chores, any of those things that you want them to do in order to be more independent. We need to have a strategy to really provide them the support that they need. So the plan that I outline is something that can be implemented in the home environment. The reason that I have had a lot of interest in this course from not just parents, but also therapists such as speech pathologists who are working on executive functioning is because they want to know what they should be telling their clients to do at home. And really, when it comes to executive functioning and building those independent skills, it has to be a team effort between parents and professionals. So that is why this information is really important to anyone on board in supporting that child. So I will give a little bit more specific information as I go through this episode about what type of skills and what specific areas you might want to focus. But if you want to check out that program and get a 12-week plan to start creating the environment and building the skills that your kids need to support executive functioning, then definitely feel free to check it out. To go to the sign-up page for that program, just go to drkarenspeech.com backslash executive functions. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash executive functions. So let's talk about the appeal to nature fallacy. So first of all, let's talk about what it is. So the appeal to nature fallacy is the idea that natural is better and that things that are not natural are bad. Natural has been one of those buzzwords that people just automatically associate with being good for you or, you know, again, better than something that is man-made or created. It's kind of like the word organic. 
Now, is organic sometimes better? Sure, but there are a lot of things that are organic that aren't good for you. For example, I remember seeing a package of organic sugar or organic marshmallows or something like that. There are a lot of things that are made that technically fit that mold, but aren't necessarily good for you. So when it comes to things that are, quote, natural, the same thing applies. Now, as I'm recording this episode, it's February 2022. So one of the biggest debates that's going on right now is surrounding vaccines. Again, the appeal to nature fallacy comes up a lot in the vaccine discussion because Vaccines are created by people, so by that definition, people don't consider them to be natural, and some people use the argument that because they're not natural, they're not good for you. And that isn't the only argument that people use, but the appeal to nature fallacy is definitely in line with a lot of the arguments made in that movement. So I wanted to just be clear that this episode is not going to be against vaccines. I just brought that up because it is a very hot topic as I am recording this episode. And so I just gave that as one example because it's something that's coming up a lot now. But what I actually am going to get into today is some specific, I will give some specific examples about how this fallacy comes up with regards to people who might need to work on executive functioning. So the two areas that I see it come up the most often in my field and surrounding the topic of ADHD is around the conversation about whether you should take medication for ADHD or related conditions. And then I also see it come up a little bit when it comes to just some of the specific interventions. So I'm going to dive into each one of these one at a time and give some specific examples. So let's first talk about the conversation around medication. So I am a speech pathologist and my role in this whole process is that if I am working with a client who has some issues with executive functioning or language or communication, some type of functional skill, my role is to provide therapy that teaches specific skills that help to create new connections in the brain and that help teach those skills in a way that allows the individual to improve their level of functioning, whether it be improving their language skills and their vocabulary so that they can perform better in school, or whether it be improving some of those skills. And then additionally, some of those executive functioning skills that allow the person to be more independent, a better problem solver, and just overall better able to get through the day and succeed at the tasks that they need to do. So those methods that I would be teaching would involve doing specific exercises that are going to improve some of those things that are going on neurologically because doing behaviors and training yourself to think a certain way or doing some type of skill over and over again does create connections in your brain. So that is the angle where I am coming from. So when it comes to the topic of medication, I would not be a person who would be saying, 
yes, you should be on medication. I would not be the person prescribing medication, but because the ability to pay attention and focus does have an impact on how someone might respond to the things that I would do. Because of that, I am often involved with families who have to make that decision as to whether medication is something they want to do. So it typically comes up, whether it be because I mention that the child is having a hard time paying attention and that they should bring it up to their doctor to just have conversations about different options, not always medication, but or whether it be that they bring it up to me and ask, should I pursue this? And and then we have a conversation that way. So my role in the process is to help the family or the individual to just ask the right questions so that they can make a good decision and find a solution that is going to be the best option for them. Because as you know, with things like medication, there can be side effects and there's all those things like dose and all of that that you definitely need to talk to a trained medical professional about. Again, I'm not the one that is going to be prescribing that, but I do have to know whether or not a referral to someone else, some other medical professional is appropriate. And if I were to have a client who did go on a medication, a lot of times the person prescribing it wants to know, hey, you know, how how are things going? Is it working? So I have to keep an eye on before and after to just let them know if there is a change in behavior. So that is the angle where I come from. Now, the reason that I'm sharing all of this is because with medication, there are many times when families are very fearful of having this conversation for a number of reasons, and that's because there is a lot of shaming going on and misinformation out there when it comes to this topic. I've seen it on both extremes, where on one end, we have people who say, why don't you just put your kid on medication? They're so out of control and misbehaving, and we know it works. Why don't you just put them on medication? That's not very helpful because people tend to feel pressured, and there are many times side effects and other things to consider. It's it's not a it's not an easy decision to make. So it doesn't really help if people feel pressured like they have to, like it's not really their decision. It really is more helpful if people feel like they have autonomy. And then on the other side, they're shaming on the side of, you know, how could you give your child that medication? It's poison. It's it's not natural and, and those kinds of things. And I think a lot of adults who are on medication for one reason or another, whether it be ADHD or whether it be something like anxiety or medication, I think there is a lot of shaming going on because people feel like it's not natural and so there's something wrong with them or they feel like a failure because they don't know how to function if they're not on medication. And that's not helpful either. So that is really where this appeal to nature fallacy comes in, where people make the assumption that something that is natural, and I'm using my air quotes there, people say that a natural remedy is better than a medication. Well, that's not always the case. The first issue is that 
it's kind of hard to define what natural is. And I'm going to give some examples of medication alternatives that are out there that are sometimes considered natural, but you'll you'll kind of start to see why it gets a little bit fuzzy and why this is kind of a fallacy in thinking. Let me just list some of the things that are often categorized as natural treatments for ADHD. So there are things like diet. So saying if you change your diet, your ADHD is going to be magically fixed. A lot of people do some work around sleep hygiene as well. Um, Sometimes people do different exercise routines or there are different lifestyle things like meditation, hypnosis, and then sometimes, and this one's a little bit of a gray area, I'll, I'll get into that in a few minutes, but doing specific exercises that are supposed to improve your attention and focus. So those are a lot of the things that could technically be categorized as natural. And then the final one that I have seen as well would be things like supplements, essential oils, and and then there are some other things that are technically considered interventions. And I'm not going to get into all of them, but they're kind of more in the esoteric realm. Some of them are you know, there's energy healing and all different kinds of of therapies that many of which do not have a solid evidence base behind. So there's all of those things as well. So I'm just going to go through each of those things that I've mentioned one at a time. Obviously, I can't get into all of the snake oil treatments out there in one episode, but I wanted to cover the big areas. So let's start with diet. So there are a lot of people who claim to be able to cure things like autism and ADHD with dietary interventions. So I actually, in my executive functioning program, I do give parents a framework to improve their children's diet and just create some structure around mealtime and eating so that they can make sure that their kids are getting good, adequate nutrition. So diet is very important. Kids have growing brains, growing bodies. They need adequate nutrition to be healthy, have energy, to feel regulated. And again, nutrition is really important in brain development as well. So diet is very important. But is it a magical cure for ADHD or autism? And is there really any proof that it can, again, cure something like that? No. Can it improve your attention and focus because you just feel better when you eat healthier? Of course. So I actually do recommend for parents who want to improve their kids' executive functioning skills that you create structure in your day and provide boundaries around your daily routines like mealtime. So there's a number of reasons why that's good because number one, creating that structure around when you eat helps to ensure that kids are hungry around a certain time. A lot of times you can kind of program yourself to be hungry around a certain time every day. And so when you're used to eating in that routine and you have that expected routine, that can eliminate a lot of arguments because there's clear expectations. And it can also help you to create a structure around what you are eating and what your kids are eating so that you can make sure you're eating good quality food. So I do actually recommend 
all of those things. So those technically could be considered natural because they don't involve medication. But again, they're still coming externally from a person. So they are an external intervention. Um, I don't know, are they considered natural or not? If the parent is the one providing the structure, that's up for debate. So you can see where the whole natural is better fallacy comes in here because Technically, that's not natural because someone's still doing something. But is it helpful? Sure. So yes, you absolutely should be mindful of diet. Is it a magic fix? No, it's just one piece of a lot of different changes that need to happen. So that's the first thing. The other thing I mentioned is sleep hygiene. Same thing as with diet. That is actually the first thing that I recommend that that parents address when it comes to creating structure is having a really solid, healthy routine and healthy boundaries around bedtime. And this is also something that I cover in my executive functioning program as well. Obviously, we need to get good quality sleep if we want to be energized. And so when there is a good bedtime routine and there are boundaries around what you're doing before bedtime, things like screen time, that is going to improve the overall structure of your day. And it's also going to help with energy and focus. Again, magic fix? No, but is it super important in the long run? Yes. Things like diet and sleep, those are things that are really things that are focused on the long game. You're not going to just see this magical, like you flipped a switch and everything's better, but over time you will see the effects. So those are things that really you might not see the impact of for months, years, whatever. Because again, if you had solid bedtime routines and you learned good structure around mealtime as a child, a lot of times you do carry them into adulthood. Sometimes people do see a big turnaround, especially if mealtimes and bedtime are a big stressful time during the day. Sometimes just creating a solid routine around the one problem area in your day does make a big impact on the other days. But many times making these changes, it's just there's a bunch of little small changes that do add up over time. So I know that's not always what people want to hear because when they're stressed, they want something that is going to give them results right away. But again, those those are things that are technically natural, but they do require some kind of external intervention from the outside. So if you are wanting some, quote, natural interventions, those are definitely good things to do. Um, I would categorize them more as environmental interventions rather than natural interventions, because again, just semantically, it's a little bit confusing and misleading. Uh, Some of the other things could include just you know, exercise. Of course, exercise is good for the same reasons that diet and sleep are good. Um, And then also working on specific skills. I will get to that one in a few minutes. What I wanted to talk about before I moved on was things like supplements and other herbal types of remedies. So with those types of things, 
I have actually had some interesting conversations with medical professionals about this um, on both sides of the argument here. So full disclaimer, I do take supplements. I take things for immune support. I take things for joint support. And all of the things that I take, I have had at least some kind of a discussion with some medical professional about them. So again, I I definitely, I'm not against supplements because I use them myself. But what I am against is implying that supplements are natural because that is what is often sold to people who are wanting a, quote, natural intervention. A lot of times people say things like, oh, there's, you know, medications are from pharmaceutical companies and they're synthetic and this supplement over here is natural. Well, no, it's not. (laughs) Anything that is in pill form is not natural, just like a medication. Now, a lot of times people think, oh, well, the things come from nature because they're herbs or or whatever, whatever they are. But the fact is, is that they are also processed in some way. So that doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're good. It just means that we can't automatically assume that one is bad and one is good because that's not always the case. Now, there are a lot of supplements out there that people claim can improve focus and increase cognitive performance. Again, those things, you just have to be careful and you have to have a conversation with a qualified medical professional because some of those things do contain ingredients that can cause issues if you're not careful. So if you are going to do medication or supplementation, you should do it under the care of a qualified medical professional. And you shouldn't assume that either one is or isn't natural because neither one is natural. They are both processed in some way. So they both probably include ingredients that you are unaware of, and you might not be aware how you react to them as far as toxicity levels and things like that. And again, with supplementation for ADHD and autism, is there a chance that some of those things can help with whatever it is you're experiencing? That is possible. Is it going to be a magic quick fix? No. So we just need to keep that in mind. With supplements, I kind of place that in the category of diet because a supplement is exactly that, a supplement. It's not meant to replace a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle, and it is something that is meant to be above and beyond. Again, supplemental in addition to. Now, there are other things that are in the category of homeopathy. And what I'm actually going to do here is in the show notes, I'm going to link to an episode from the Unbiased Science podcast where they discuss this topic in depth. And I'll give you the Cliff Notes version and you can check it out for yourself. And and again, these two hosts of the Unbiased Science podcasts are doctors. So I think that they did a very good job explaining the issues behind homeopathy. But the summary is that a lot of times they 
are just not effective and they're sugar pills. And then a lot of times they can actually be harmful because you don't necessarily know what's in them. They are not regulated and all sorts of things. So, uh, and then the, the final thing that sometimes happens when people use these natural interventions that they, or that they, things that they think to be natural and not harmful is that they delay getting intervention that actually does work. So that is, that is a problem as well. So check out that episode. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. But again, the reason that people sometimes try those types of things is that they think that medication is bad because it's not natural. And these other things, people are telling me that they're natural so that they, that means that they must be better. That's not always the case. It's a lot of times it can actually be harmful or at the very least just ineffective and a waste of time and money and just delay you getting the help that you actually need that is going to make a difference. So before I switch and talk about the the second the second thing which is the the idea that behavioral methods are somehow not natural. Uh, I wanted to share if you haven't checked it out there is a book by John Krakauer called Into the Wild. It's also a movie, but it is about a man named Christopher McCandless who in his 20s decided to be kind of a an adventurer, a nomad and just live off the land. And so he actually was just, you know, living out in the wilderness. And he ended up, when he was in his 20s, dying because he was living out in the woods and he ate some kind of a plant that made him so fatigued because it poisoned him. So he was so fatigued that he wasn't able to get out of the woods and get back to safety and he starved to death. So that seems like a very morbid tale, but the whole point behind that is that he was living off the land. He ate something that was natural, that that came out of nature, and it killed him. There are a lot of things in nature that can kill us. Something like cyanide that's in apple cores is something that is natural. That can also be poisonous. So... Just because something is natural does not mean that it is automatically good. Personally, I love being out in nature. I like hiking. I like camping. All of that is great. But I am also aware that there are certain things out in nature that could kill me if I'm not careful. So nature can be wonderful if you want to enjoy it and you want to enjoy the outdoors. But you just have to know that everything in nature doesn't automatically mean that it's wonderful and great and good for you. So I'll also link to that book in the show notes as well. Again, it's called Into the Wild by John Krakauer. If you haven't checked out any of his books, I highly recommend them. They're typically about accounts of true events experienced by either him or people that he's interviewed. He's a journalist, basically. So he's got some really interesting books. Again, that's Into the Wild. And uh, again, it's a good example of the appeal to nature fallacy right there. What I wanted to wrap up with is just the discussion of behavioral methods, meaning just teaching your, your kids specific skills and setting clear boundaries in their day-to-day environment. 
where I see the appeal to nature somewhat creeping in to this conversation is that a lot of times people will say, oh, just let kids figure it out for themselves. They'll learn things naturally. Don't be a helicopter parent. They'll just figure it out. And the fact is, is that kids with certain things like dyslexia, ADHD, autism, there are many skills where they need some scaffolding and support in order to learn those skills. And those certainly aren't the only conditions, but there are many times when if a kid is struggling with language, if they are struggling with executive functioning, they need some external assistance and guidance in order to learn those skills. Sometimes things that people just learn implicitly on their own without somebody explaining it to them, sometimes kids need those skills taught to them directly. So you might have just intuitively figured out how to go upstairs and clean your room. That doesn't mean that your child is going to figure that out on their own. They might need you to be more direct with them. So if you have a child who is struggling with executive functioning, they are probably a child that needs certain skills taught to them directly. And the fact that they need that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them or that it's bad. Needing something explained to you, there's no shame in that. So again, that's that fallacy there where we're thinking that things are just going to magically work themselves out or natural is better. There's actually quite a bit of evidence to the contrary that kids do need you to walk them through those specific steps and also model how to think about tasks in their day-to-day environment strategically. So with the cleaning the room example, you might not be able to tell your child, go upstairs and clean your room, and then 30 minutes later, you go up and the room is magically clean. What you might need to do is go up with them, talk them through the steps. Maybe you have them do one step at a time and they check back with you. Maybe you develop some kind of a strategy or again, some kind of a scaffold where they have a checklist where you are making those executive functioning skills that they need, that they could be doing in their head. You're just making it more visual. There are a lot of ways that you can incorporate those supports and also teach your kids that self-talk that needs to happen in their mind as they're going through their day. A lot of kids don't naturally have that internal dialogue that we often have when we're just thinking about what we need to do day in, day out, all the way through our day. So you as the parent, you as the therapist should be modeling those things. If your kids are not catching on to it, quote, naturally, the fact that you need to do that is totally fine. It just means that they need something else. And then I wanted to wrap up by talking about another kind of a a fallacy. It's kind of like the word organic. Again, we kind of assume that it's better and it's always good. And that is the term child-led. A lot of times people say, oh, we shouldn't force kids to do things. It should be child-led. And and if, if it's If it's adult-led, then it's bad, and it's just about what the adult wants, and we're being too controlling. And if it's child-led, everything is good, and it's great. Well, child-led does not have to mean that the child is running the show. In fact, if you have a child who does not have fully developed executive functioning skills, and honestly, that would be every child because executive functioning isn't fully developed until the early 20s. But as I was saying... 
Because we know that children do not have a fully formed brain, the areas of their brain that are involved in critical thinking and problem solving are still developing, that means that we're not going to hand the keys over to them. There's a reason that kids can't drink alcohol or drive until a certain age. So that means that we might be providing that structure as adults. We should be providing that structure as adults who have more developed executive functioning skills than our kids. But child-led, what that actually could mean is just that we're, we're thinking about our kids. We're giving them some autonomy and choices. For example, kids can definitely indicate preferences. We can keep our kids' interests in mind. We can keep our kids' sensory profile in mind. We can keep our kids' needs in mind. Again, with the example of executive functioning skills, we're keeping our kids in mind by having an understanding of where they might need support. So that, in a way, is child-informed, meaning that we're thinking about the child's needs and wants as we are doing whatever we're doing, we're thinking about their well-being, but it doesn't mean that we're just giving them free reign about what's happening. And I think a lot of times people take that too far with the the child-led fallacy. It doesn't mean it's a free-for-all. It doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries. I mean, if there weren't boundaries, kids would be eating ice cream for dinner and never going to bed. And that would be terrible. That would have devastating outcomes for everybody. You'd have a very crabby, tired kid. And so that whole idea of child-led is better, well, it depends what you mean by child-led. The idea of natural is better, it depends what you mean by natural. So we have to keep these things in mind when we are making decisions, something that is structured and creates boundaries and sometimes makes kids a little bit uncomfortable because they have to put down a task that they're really enjoying in order to do a task that is a little bit more challenging for the sake of helping them grow and be more independent in the long run. Well, that isn't a bad thing. Or the fact that sometimes we might resort to certain medical interventions that aren't, quote, natural, because that's what we need to function. There's no shame in that as well. It doesn't mean that we want our day to be super structured and rigid and have no free time where kids can just have unstructured playtime. Of course, that's important. Of course, we want to give them choices and the ability to indicate their preferences. We want to keep their sensory profiles in mind and, and all of those things and and decisions about whether or not you should do some type of a medical intervention. Again, it's a big decision one way or the other. So that is why we need to go into it with a clear head and not be so rigidly focused on this way is better, this way is bad, and so on. Because uh, you can have the fallacy of the other way where you want the magic pill. Just give me the pill and give me the medication and I don't want to make any lifestyle changes. I just want the magic pill and I don't want to do any of the other hard work. That's not good either. So we need to be aware of these biases and thinking that are out there so that we can make good decisions about how to support our kids. So this is a good place to wrap up. Again, if you want a structured plan for working through all of these environmental things, so starting out with sleep hygiene and structuring your workspace, structuring your day so that you can create a learning environment that supports executive functioning skills, and then you want a solid plan to actually teach those skills, definitely check out 
my Executive Functioning for Success program for therapists, educators, and parents who want to support kids' executive functioning skills. This is a 12-week program. It is a self-study, so you can actually join whenever you want, and you can go through the program at your own pace. You can actually go through it in less than 12 weeks, or you can take a little bit longer. It all depends on your unique situation and where you're at. So to check out Executive Functioning for Success, go to drkarenspeech.com backslash executive functions. Again, that's drkarenspeech.com backslash executive functions. Thank you so much for listening. Again, remember that it helps us out so much if you leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And additionally, if you think this information would be valuable to a friend, family member, or colleague, feel free to share this episode with them or let them know about the Are They 18 Yet podcast. So for now, we will wrap up. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test, you can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com backslash BE.